0: morning, Shalom, and welcome to our Aliyah Day. Today is uh, the third Aliyah of Parashah Beshalach. And so it is a, a, always a joy to be with everybody as you're joining us from all over the Fruited Plain to uh, study the Torah together. And as we have said many times before, we haven't said it recently, so we'll repeat it. Uh, an Aliyah Day is... Keeps the Yetzirah away. When we stay in the Torah study, when we stay in the Word of Adonai, it keeps us balanced. It keeps us healthy. It's a great. Uh, it's a great mitzvah. It's a great brings a lot of kedusha into our life. To be here and to study the Word of God and to allow the Scripture to uh, mikveh us, as it were. You know, the Midrash Shabbat refers to the Torah. By the way. Uh, as the spirit of God, meaning that the Torah, the word of God, is equivalent to the Ruach Hakodesh. So we talk about wanting to live in the spirit. We want to. We want to uh, be led by the spirit, etc. We hear the, that type of phraseology, and people have adopted those kinds of terms and and statements into their life. Because they read them, uh, you know, maybe uh, something similar in the New Testament or whatever. And they don't realize that actual, in actuality, the people who wrote that were talking about the Torah. Because that is ultimately the Spirit of God. Why? Because it imitates from God. So anyway, it's wonderful. We're studying the Word of God. We are, and, and in studying the Word of God, we are actually living out a uh, Spirit-led life. Isn't that neat? Ruk Hashem. All right, so let's look. We are, on, as I said, Parashah Beshalach. We are in the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus, and uh, we are looking at the third Aliyah, which is going to begin in chapter fourteen, beginning with verse verse fifteen. What's interesting about this particular Aliyah, as it uh, as we we move further, no pun intended, into crossing the Red Sea. The sages write about this and this particular aspect and say <clears throat> that in reality this is the climax of Hashem's love for us. it is the climax of Hashem's love for us and so uh, the Red Sea is actually the third well not really the third I guess well let me let me back up. Uh, you have the Exodus that begins really, uh, in terms of us coming out of Egypt, with the Pesach land being offered. Seven days later, we have the parting, a uh, uh, crossing of the Red Sea. Then we move from that to the Mount Sinai, where we receive uh, the Torah. And that happens at Shavuot in, uh, you know, at, in, in Savan. That Shabba'ot is actually the conclusion, as it were, of the Exodus. So there are three important stops, if you will, uh, along the journey. The first one is to have the Pesach Lamb, which is mingled with the blood of circumcision, which causes our release from captivity and our redemption. We move from there to uh, the Yom Suf, which is like a corporate mikvah, uh, and we're going to be obviously talking about that more uh today and then we move from there that's not the final stop though the mikvah is not the final stop that's the thing water baptism let's just use that terminology because many people may not know uh, you know mikvah but they they've heard of or maybe they're really uh, uh familiar with water baptisms that's not the final step you're only halfway through the process at that point the final step of the of the exodus the climactic end of the Exodus, the thing to which everything points, is the Torah at Mount Sinai. And that's the progression. Many people have the progression backwards. They think that we had the Torah and then we needed the Pesach Lamb because the Torah wasn't good enough to get us out of Mitzrayim, but that's not true. The fact is that we, had, we nothing could get us out of Mitzrayim. We needed the Pesach Lamb. We went from there to, to die at the Red Sea. And uh, from the from after we died at the Red Sea and were resurrected again, come up out of the other side, we were able for that. We were able at that point to go receive the Torah, and once we received the Torah, now we were journeying towards the Promised Land. So you see, that's the progression, and that's important for us to get. Now, I want us to begin. Actually, even though the third aliyah begins in verse fifteen, I want us to look again at verse fourteen. In verse fourteen, it says, "Adonai." Yilechem lachem veatem haShiron Shishon, Adonai shall make war for you, and you shall remain silent. He shall make war for you, veatem ha'shiron You shall remain silent. So as I said yesterday, we left off the Aliyah, I said I was going to mention this particular verse because this is akin to the, the verse that we have in the Basorah of Yokanan. Uh, chapter 3, verse 16, this such a famous verse that Hashem is talking about. Uh, he's actually talking to Nicodemus about the mikvah, okay? about being born again. Uh, Nicodemus being a little bit coy with him at that time. Uh, and he says to him, don't listen. You're a teacher of Israel. You don't understand about being born again. Why did Yeshua say that? Because the whole concept of being born again was nothing new. It wasn't some like big myst- mystical mystery that Messiah introduced to everyone. We all went, oh my God, what? how amazing. We never heard of this before. No, the, the, the idea of being born again, being born anew, had existed in Israel for many, 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 many centuries. And it centered around the mikveh. When somebody goes into the mikvah, they are born again a Jew. And they come up, and they're not Jewish, they come up out of the water, born again a Jew. And so here we have the situation where we are facing the Red Sea, which is a national mikvah. And this subject of, because of God's great love. Okay? So... Uh, just thinking back to Yochanan, to the Besorah 3.16, where uh, Yeshua says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, the Son of God, by the way, in Jewish terms, is the King of Israel. It does It's the reverse of what people think. We talk about the Son of Man, that's the Mashiach. We talk about the Son of God, that's the King of Israel. So Hashem was willing to sacrifice His King in order to save The people, which is quite the reverse of what armies normally do. Normally, armies surround the king and protect the king at all costs. Everybody else can die, but the king must live. In this case, the king dies, everybody else lives. So anyway, let's look at the comment from Rabbi Monk. So it says, to verse 14, Adonai yilechem lachem. lachem. Adonai shall do battle for you. Since that, the night that God rejected all intermedi, intermedi, intermediaries, slika, <clears throat> personally killing the Egyptians and delivering the Israelites, He continued to display His concern for Israel. He encompassed them with, with a protective cloud, and now He prepared to rescue His people at last from the Egyptians. Even Israel's intervention through prayer was prohibited as they were told to be silent. Isn't that interesting? Normally, when we're going through a difficult time, it makes sense that we should break forth in prayer. That uh, we should cry out to God. That we should ask Him for our help, ask Him for healing, ask Him for shalom, whatever the case may be. But here, when the people begin to cry out, Hashem says, be quiet. Why? We're going to learn why. So it says, Supplications were not necessary, explains the Zohar. Why? Because God's love for the patriarchs, which endures forever, had already assured Israel's salvation. So God so loved the patriarchs that He was willing to save Israel. You see, God's love for his, His covenant, God so loved the reason that we were going to be saved was not, in this case, because of our, our prayers, was not because of our merit, because we didn't have any merit. It was rather because God so loved us. That's, the, that's the, what's, what's being say, said here. Love was the merit. So it says here, Although the cry of the dove can find favor with Hashem when Israel is in distress... This goes back to an earlier commentary about the dove uh, is being chased by a hawk. So the dove tries to take refuge in the cleft of the rock, but in the cleft of the rock is a serpent. So the dove doesn't know what to do, can't go in the cleft because of the serpent, can't fly out because of the hawk. So the dove cries out and Hashem saves it. So it says here, even though that cry of the dove can find favor with Hashem, now at the crucial hour when God revealed his omnipotence, this was inappropriate. Thus the Torah employs in this verse that name of Hashem, which expresses the attribute of love rather than the attribute of of justice. Why? Because instead of using Elohim, it uses Hashem. Even though a war of extermination is about to unfold. So normally when we're talking about God crushing our enemies, we would say Elohim. Why? Because that's the the name of, uh, of justice. But in this instance, the Torah uses Hashem. Why? Because it represents mercy. Because ultimately, all of this is happening through God's love and mercy. His love and mercy for the patriarchs. His love and mercy for mankind. Now, why is this the case? Well, because the fact remains, and the angels, according to the Midrash, the angels made this argument to Hashem, they said, "Listen, why should we kill the Egyptians and not kill Israel? They're all idolaters." You see, the fact of the matter is is that when we were standing at the shores of the Red Sea, we were all idolaters. We had nothing special that differentiated us from the Egyptians. Isn't that peculiar? Because hadn't we been circumcised, and had we not partaken of the Pesach Lamb, and had we not put the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of our homes, had we not mixed in with the blood of the Lamb our circumcision? Not just us, but also the of Rav, the 2.4 million converts who came out of Mitzrayim. And so now we're standing on the so- the shores of the sea, and the angels are making an, an argument against us, which is valid. This says, why did, do they deserve salvation above the Egyptians? Because at the end of the day, everybody's an idolater. Why? Because we had not yet been mikvahed. We had not yet been born again. We had not yet entered back into the, 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 the primordial waters of the womb, as it were. You know, in, in Judaism, the mikvah, the waters of the mikvah, represent the amniotic fluid of the womb. And we needed to be self-nullified. We needed to die to self. Why? Because only dying to self allows us the ability to accept the Torah. And so, when we're standing before the great king and his great judgment, the waters, we have nothing but his divine love. This is why we're not allowed to be arrogant this is why we're not allowed to be haughty. This is why when we are in our synagogues and we have somebody standing next to us who is a non-Jew, but they're pursuing Hashem, we're not allowed to look at them and say, well, I, was, I grew up in a Jewish home. What are you talking about? Listen to me. I want you to understand the... And, 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 Hear my heart in this. Look, there's people who grew up in, in Jewish homes. It's wonderful. All I'm saying is we're not allowed to be arrogant about it. Why? Because there were people who came out of Egypt, right, who were slaves, and they grew up in Jewish homes. And there were other people who came out of Egypt who saw the mighty hand of God, the God of Israel and said, we want to be with you. They did not grow up in a Jewish home. And they also came out of its Mitzrayim, And those two people were standing together at the seashore. And then there was an army of Egyptians who had no faith, who also came out of Mitzrayim to kill us, right? And they would have killed the 2.4 million converts just as fast as they would have killed the 600,000 Jews. And the angels looked down to heaven and looked at all three groups, looked at the Jews, looked at the converts who were just like Jews, and looked at the Egyptian army, and the angel said to the Most High God, "Hey Hashem, don't you see that all three of those groups have the same sin?" And Hashem said, "Yep, but my love will save the converts and the Jews because they are pursuing me. That's what it means when it says God's to love the world. So, <clears throat> says here all uh slika." It says, thus, the Torah employs this name, which means mercy. The same designation also appears further in the Song of the Sea, where God is referred to as Adonai Ish Melchama, which is translated Adonai is a master of war, but it literally, literally means Hashem is a man of war. That's what it literally means. Adonai Ish Melchama literally, literally means Adonai, man of war. And now, the reason, just to, to sidestep a little bit, this becomes apparent in the, uh, in the Talmud, I believe it is, uh, where when Goliath says, send me your man, he's not talking about, send me one of your soldiers. The Talmud brings down that Goliath was literally saying, send me Hashem, who you call Ish Malchama. Because I will defeat him in battle, and so God says, "You want to see my man? I'm going to send. I'm going to send you the image of me, which is David." Uh, so anyway, it says, "Indeed, this divine love extended even to the Egyptians." See, this is the this is the, the the mercy and the power of God's love, and how strong it is, right? Which again is a lesson for us not to be arrogant. Because why? Here's the point. Rabbi Monk says this. Indeed, this divine love extends even to the Egyptians. Why or how? Because the sea returned the Egyptians' bodies to the shore so that they could receive a proper burial. R- Rashi says this in his comments to 1512. God had mercy and love so that they should receive a proper burial. And who buried them, by the way? The, us, the Jewish people. So it says, the theme of love is most significant in the light of the vulnerability of the Israelites to heaven's accusations that they were also unworthy of salvation because they worshipped idols in Egypt. You see, everybody was guilty. But it was the love of God. It was the love of God that saved us. That's the point that Rabbi Monk is saying here. He says, no defense that they were compelled to do uh sh- sleeka no defense that they were compelled to do so by their egyptian oppressors was adequate in other words we couldn't say well because we were slaves we had to be idolaters no that we were not compelled to be idolaters we chose that way of life this is why i was saying uh yesterday in a class i was teaching to another group that um this is why the defense is worthless, where we say, well, nobody could do the Torah, so Hashem had to send the Messiah to, to uh, you know, relieve us. That's, 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 not, that's no defense. The fact of the matter is, is that everybody can keep the Torah, we just all chose not to. And as a result, we're guilty. So, it says, God's love for the patriarchs endures, rendering the prayers and laments of the Jewish people superfluous. Which is why it says, and you shall remain silent, exclaims Moshe, the God of love, will assure your salvation. Here's the point. Is that before we went into the Red Sea and experienced the self-nullification, experienced the mikveh, our prayers had no effect. Why? Because there was, uh, there was no merit to them. We were just idolaters. We 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 were saved only because of the love of Hashem. That's all we had. The only merit that we had was that we were we were just willing to follow Hashem. Such a beautiful point. Verse fifteen, Hashem said to Moshe, Why do you crowd to me? Speak to the children of Israel and tell them the journey forth, and you lift up your your staff and stretch out your arm over the sea and split it. And the children of Israel shall come into the midst of the sea on the dry land. And I behold, I shall strengthen the heart of Egypt and they shall come after them. And I will be glorified through Pharaoh, through his entire army, through his chariots and through his horsemen. Egypt will know that I am Adonai when I am glorified through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Rabbi Monk talks about the uh, the symbolism of, of the mikvah or, excuse, or the Red Sea rather. It says, Hashem informed Israel and Moses, Moses that under these circumstances their prayers were in, inappropriate, but to have utter trust in God was a different matter. It was true that Hashem's love for the patriarchs protected him and gained pardon for their transgressions. Yet, in what better way could they totally undermine the charge of idol, uh, idol worship than by resolutely marching forward into the menacing waves of the sea? In other words... God's love saved us ultimately, but it requires our action. It requires our action. So here we are, idolaters, and the angels are looking down and saying, well, there's a group of, of people there, are, they're idolaters. There's a group of people over here on the, on the chariots, they're also idolaters. So tell me, what, what, uh, uh, who do we save and who do we kill? Because they both are evil, they both are guilty. They're both of sinners. And so Hashem says, don't worry, my love will save them. But how is that love actualized? How how do we draw upon that love? Is when we look at the waters and we say, you know, the only way to prove that we are leaving idolatry is that we're willing to go to the waters of the mikvah and die to self. We're willing to go to the waters of the mikvah, immerse in the waters come up out of the waters born again what somebody willing to take upon ourselves the will of God we know we have to we have to immerse and drown our will and come up out of the waters and accept God's will and God says because they're willing to do that my love will save them and that is their merit the fact very fact they're willing to go to the water the water is not just a get me out of gehenom card that's not what the water is about. The water is not just so that I can go to Shemayim. The, the water is all about so I can come up a Jew living for God and through God and with God and by God. If you come up out of the water, my friend, let me just tell you this. I'm just, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But if you come up out of the water and you're not willing to go to Sinai or accept the Torah, it's not a valid mikvah. It's just not. That's just the reality. Now, Hashem is the ultimate judge, but you should just know it's not valid. You can't go into the mikvah with conditions. I'm going to go mikvah, but I don't really want to be, you know, I don't want to be too Jewish. I don't want to be too uh, observant. You know what? I'm going to go into the mikvah, but, you know, uh, Saturday's a big day for me. You know, I make a lot of money on Shabbat. Got to work. I want to go into the mikvah, but, you know, those, uh, those, uh, seats. you know, I wear this talikatan. It's hot. I don't want I get too hot. I live in a hot climate. I don't want to wear those. Or, you know, I'm going to go to the mikvah, but you know, uh, those holidays, uh, you know, I like the other holidays better, more fun. You can't go into the water. It has to be an unconditional surrender. We don't accept conditions. Shemayim doesn't accept conditions. A dead man has no conditions. A dead woman has no conditions. You have to be willing to die 100%, come up, and be born again and live for God. I'm just saying. This is what the mikvah is all about. This is what the mikvah symbolizes in our life. It symbolizes a self-nullification. Besides, what from the old life we want to take with us anyway? Really. So, verse 19 says, The angel of God, who had been going in front of the children of Israel, moved and went behind them. There's uh, writings about this, that this angel is memtet. But anyway, so again, we have a comment here. When it talks about the angel of God, Rashi brings down that the Israelites, while while, uh, menaced on all sides, stood in judgment before the celestial tribunal to determine if they were to be uh, rescued or allowed to perish. So we listen, there was no guarantee. I want you to, you know, I just want to come back to this for a second. We're standing on the waters of the seashore. We've already had the blood of the Lamb. We've already had the Passover. And yet, we're standing at the waters. There's no guarantee that we're going to be saved. The question, my friend, is why? I thought it was faith in the blood alone. The answer is no. If you're not born again, and by the way, I just want to repeat myself. Not because I like hearing myself, but rather I'm trying to drive a point on that we have to be born again in a Jewish context. Meaning that you can have faith in the blood and you can even experience the Passover, but if you're not willing to, be, to die to yourself and be born again a Jew, you're going to drown with the Egyptian army. That's the point. That's the whole point. Because the, the exodus is you don't get to, you, you have to take the whole thing. The reason God took us out of Mitzrayim was not so that we could be free. It's so that we could embrace a Torah life. So it says here, The sense of judgment is indicated here by the use of the divine name Elohim. However, Israel's guardian angel and the pillar of cloud withdrew itself to the rear, giving way to the presence of God. Why? Because God's love, which is so strikingly evident in this chap- chapter, climaxes in these events. In verse 19, 20, and 21. So 19 says, The angel of God who had been going in front of the children of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and went behind them. Verse 20, It came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there were clouds and darkness while it illuminated the night, and one did not draw near to the other at night. Verse 21, Moshe stretched out his hand over the sea, and the heavens moved the sea with a strong east wind all that night, and he turned the sea to damp land. Uh, uh, Sleka, and he turned the sea to damp land, and the waters split. Now, going back to our comment, it says in verse 19, 20, and twenty-one, God's love reaches its climax. What is it talking about? It says each of these verses contains seventy-two letters, representing the total number of the letters in Shem shell, uh, va, uh, uh, veit, gr- the great divine name. This name designates Ad- Hashem in the full intensity of His love. How? Because it triumphs over all the obstacles included, uh, including those posed by the laws of nature. 72 is the numerical value of chesed. The supreme being fuses here his three attributes, hesed, din, and verachamim, that is boundless love, justice, and mercy. The threefold repetition of the 72-letter name corresponds to these three attributes, whose dominant note is love, whereas justice, encircled by hesed, that is love, and Rachamim, that is mercy, is only one of these three constituencies. Furthermore, it talks about in verse 21 that Moses stretched out his hand, but Hashem moved the sea. There's a big, long uh, discussion here about the reality that the sea, even though Moses lifted up the staff, even though the staff had the divine name inscribed upon it, and Moshe said in the merit of Hashem split, the sea refused to do so until when? Until Hashem himself appeared. And the Midrash talks about this, that he appeared in the form of a man and the sea saw him and split. Why? Now listen to this. Why is it Why is it that the sea did so? Why would the sea not split for Moses holding the staff? Why? The answer is As Rabbi Monk points out here in his commentary, nature obeys only the commands of God. Nature obeys only the commands of God. Which is why when Yeshua calmed the seas, His Talmudim bowed down to him and said, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Why did they say that? Because even Moses, standing at the seashore, lifting up the rod of glory, the sea said, Nope, until Hashem showed up and then it parted. So, one more thing before we conclude just want to share a couple of thoughts on the Kehol Tumash. Because, as we talked before, Hashem tells Moses, He says um, that they should just journey forth. That Israel should just journey forth. Okay? Of course, Egypt pursued them and came after them, and every horse of the Pharaoh of his church, horsemen in the midst of the sea. It happened in the morning, watch, that Hashem looked down at the camp of Egypt with a pillar of fire and cloud, And he confounded the camp of Egypt. He removed the wheels of these chariots and caused them to to drive with difficulty. And Egypt said, I shall flee before Israel for Adonai is waging war for them against Egypt. So Hashem had said to the people of Israel, you need to move forward. And so we read in the Midrash that the sea did not part until a prince of Judah named Nachshon ran and dove into the sea. Only then, and by the way, he ran into the sea, and the sea got up to his nostrils, and then it started the part. And the reason Nakshon did this is because Nakshon was not going to be detoured by any type of obstacle, natural or otherwise. Nakshon, as the Midrash points out, Nakshon's heart was for the things of God. He wanted to fulfill God's will. He wanted to receive the Torah. He understood the plan of God for his life, and he was not going to be detoured by anything. And he knew that if God's plan was God's plan, then then the sea couldn't drown him. So he was willing to rush off and jump into the water and come come the proverbial hell or high water. He was willing to do it. And as a result, in his merit, the sea started to split. Which is one of the reasons that they talk about why the king would, would come from Judah again. So we have to be like Nachshon. And one other comment here from the KL Tumash that says, when it talks about in verse 15 and 16, let them journey forth, take up your staff, and raise your arm over the sea. Notice God says, listen, send the people, let them start walking towards the sea. Hashem will not split a sea in your life until you start to walk forward towards it in faith. That's just reality, my friends. As I said in last uh, Shabbat's Dross, the most important thing is not to give up, to continue, to press forward. We, in my life... I've experienced, my wife and I, and particularly with this particular synagogue and and everything that it goes, we've experienced all kinds of opposition. We've experienced people telling us it's never going to work. It's never going to happen. We've had, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of, of setbacks here and there. And we've had ideas that worked really great and some that didn't. But the most important thing is we refuse to give up. We refuse to give up. You can't defeat an enemy like that. I'm just telling you. You can't defeat an enemy that refuses to give up. And so when you refuse to give up, because you know what Hashem's will. You're like Naqshon. You know that the ultimate goal is the ultimate goal, and therefore it's, the, it's God's goal. What can stop you? So he says, The splitting of the sea of reeds is generally viewed as the archetype of a, of a miracle and supernatural event. Yet, even in this case, there, are, there had to be There had to be a natural action to act as a catalyst for the miracle. God instructed the people to journey forward and Moses to lift his staff over the water. God always demands some human act first and only then does he perform miracles. We have to act first. We have to step out of the boat this is because events that occur without our involvement do not truly affect us. Wow. This is, you know People say, well, I don't know if I should be doing all those mitzvahs because I just want to depend on God's grace and I, I want to do nothing. I just want to have God's grace and me do, watch me do nothing. No, that's not, that's not how it works in life. We have to be actively involved. And, and again, our works compared to His grace is nothing. Yet, without our effort, it means nothing to us. So it says we may adjust to the changes, but we are not internally effective. Only when we expend some effort do we truly appreciate and assimilate God's miracle. One more sentence. It says the same applies to all areas of life. Asking for God's blessing is not sufficient. We must make some effort that can serve as a conduit for a blessing. My friends, this is why we tithe from our income. This is why we pray. This is why we perform, we perform mitzvot, because all those things are simply conduits for Hashem's blessing in our life. End of our Aliyah today. May you have a blessed, wonderful, and amazing day. Please share this video. Please like it. Please like our page if you haven't done so. Smile at somebody today and be a light. Be a joyful, loving, kind light. And with God's help, we will continue to shine the light tomorrow. See you then. Shalom, shalom.